Welcome to episode 127 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. I am your host, Anthony Fasano. I am a licensed professional engineer who practiced as an engineer, but eventually decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book entitled Engineer Your Own Success and have traveled the world helping engineers. And through this podcast, myself and my co-host, Chris Knutson, try to bring you information that can help you succeed in every episode. I've also had the honor of authoring the American Society of Civil Engineers Careers and Leadership column for the past few years. At the Engineering Management Institute, we believe that in order to be the best civil engineer you can be, you must consistently get better. Get better at your craft, your people skills, and as a leader. And that's why we published this free podcast to help you do just that. Now, in this episode, I will be taking you on a road trip to Connecticut to the offices of Bentley Systems, where we'll visit with Bob Mankowski, who is a civil engineer and also the vice president of Bentley's Digital Cities Business Unit. Bob will talk to us about the power of digital twins for digital cities and what Bentley is doing in that space. And he also gets into some other technology around what they're doing on construction sites with 4D technology. It's really, really interesting stuff. We're also broadcasting this episode on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash engineering careers. So you can see some of the technology. Bentley has provided us with some videos that we incorporated into the video version of the podcast. Now, before we get started, this is a free show and our sponsors help us keep it free. So we ask that you please support them. And now I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, Mazer Consulting. A big thank you to EMI's newest podcast sponsor, Mazer Consulting, a privately owned multidiscipline engineering firm with 950 employees in 32 offices nationwide and growing fast. Mazer Consulting's engineers, planners, surveyors, landscape architects, and environmental scientists provide professional services to a diverse client base across the public and private sectors. Headquartered in New Jersey with projects coast-to-coast, Mazer's offices are strategically positioned to provide comprehensive services to meet their clients' needs. Mazer Consulting is committed to the success of their clients and employees. I'll tell you a little bit more about our new sponsor, Mazer Consulting, a little later on in the episode. And in our next episode, I'm taking you with me to their office to sit down with one of their project managers, Michelle Brehoff, as one of our Women in Civil Engineering episodes. I also want to mention that the Engineering Management Institute were building a diagnostic tool called the Current Management Abilities Potential, and it's going to be able to give you your current management abilities as an engineer stacked up against the great engineering managers of the past. We've done a lot of research with an outside data analytics firm, as well as interviewing and surveying thousands of engineers to determine what's made engineering managers great in the past. And we now have a tool so you can measure yourself around the four key drivers that we've discovered to successful engineering managers. And right now, for a few more months, we are looking for 200 managers to go through a case study where you can utilize this tool to assess yourself. It will involve your reports assessing you, you assessing yourself, and your supervisor assessing you. It will take each of them 10 minutes or less through an online assessment. And all you need to do to be a part of this groundbreaking research is email betty at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. 
Again, that's Betty at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. And we will give you your results so you can see how you stack up and where you need to spend your energy in terms of professional development. All right, we're going to jump into the interview with Bob Mankowski from Bentley Systems. Let me just tell you a little bit more about Bob. Bob joined Bentley Systems in the company's 2004 acquisition of Haystead Methods, where he served as chief technology officer. He is a co-inventor of seven patented technologies. Prior to serving as the Digital City's business executive, Bob was the leader of the product teams that created asset-wise capabilities for water, wastewater, geospatial, and communications infrastructure. Bob has a Bachelor of Science degree in civil engineering from Drexel University and is a licensed professional engineer. And he gets into his journey starting out as a young civil engineer and then transitioning into software which is something you don't really hear every day. So it was really interesting. And Bentley's doing some awesome things and you're going to hear about that. So let's jump right in here and head off to the offices of Bentley Systems to talk with Bob Mankowski. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. Anthony Fasano here from the Engineering Management Institute. And I'm excited to be here at the offices of Bentley Systems. I'm here sitting down with Bob Mankowski. Bob is the VP of the Digital Cities Business Unit here at Bentley. And we're going to get into digital cities, but we're going to talk about some other things related to civil engineering. So, Bob, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thanks, Anthony. So, Bob, we're definitely going to dive into digital cities, digital twins for digital cities. We had a, a recent episode about smart cities as well. It's just so much technology going on that's today right. that's impacting not just civil engineering, of course, but everyone. But before we do that, your background is in civil engineering. That's right. And so I'd love for you to just kind of tell our viewers a little bit about your career journey. Yeah, I uh, got a bachelor's in civil engineering from Drexel University in Philadelphia. And um, from there, I went on to the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power. That was my first job out of school. And uh, well, Drexel's a co-op school, so I had a oh, few, okay. few opportunities there as well in a construction company. And uh, so when I went out to LA, I worked for the water department. And my first role there was um, as an inspector on cement lining projects. Wow. So I was out in the field. It was really a great experience. And, um, you know, I've often recommended to young civil engineers sure. to, to get that field experience in the beginning because it makes a big difference in oh, terms wow. of understanding how uh, your work as a designer or as an engineer actually impacts the folks that are responsible for building it, operating yeah. it. You know, you get that firsthand experience of like what it really looks like out there in the dirt. <laughs> That's great. Now, how did you get from Drexel to Los Angeles? Was there a connection there? Yeah, there was a, well, they, you know, it was like a career fair at oh, wow. school okay. and there were a lot of companies interviewing students. And uh, one of the uh, engineers out from LA was an alumni of Drexel oh, I see. and came back and was recruiting on campus. And uh, so I had my first interview on campus and then they invited me out for a second interview. Wow. And yeah, it was really exciting as a young uh, guy from the East Coast sure. to uh, move to LA. And a few of my friends, actually, one of my friends uh, was there with me in L.A., um, and then a couple others worked for Caltrans. So there were quite a few of us that went out to L.A. That's awesome. I mean, I would imagine for a civil engineer, especially young, you know, starting your career, Los Angeles Department of Water and Power must have been a very interesting place to work. Absolutely. It certainly was. It's one of the most complex. In fact, it might be the largest and most complex municipal water system in the United States. So yeah, sure. it was a really great place for someone with a hydraulics and hydrology focus sure. at school to, you know, be selected to work there was fantastic. And uh, I worked, like I said, in the field for a few years and then moved into the office and was responsible for um, a small team of 
of draftsmen who we were basically creating um, mainline replacement plans. Okay. So upgrading the infrastructure, which of course we can talk about in the context of digital cities. Sure. Just the aging infrastructure in the United States and Los Angeles was no exception there. So we were um, designing replacements and, okay. uh, and that's where I got my first like taste of, of really programming. Okay. So this is sort of how I got into the software industry. Right, right. I was there and I was helping um, sort of drafting all these mainline replacements and I started to write some Autolisp code in, in AutoCAD to automate some of the repetitive tasks that the draftsmen had to do. Oh, interesting. And so just really making it so it's a bit more efficient for them to do the work that we had to do. And I really got, I mean, I'd always enjoyed programming as a kid. Right. I'd gotten like, you know, in high school I had a programming class and at Drexel there was one programming class, you know, that was required. But I sort of had the bug, you know. That's interesting. So that's how you kind of got into the realm of software. It is. I guess how you really saw the power of, you know, you could help by writing this code to make things easier. In terms exactly. Of engineering. So yep. that's, and then that's I started doing stuff uh, as a hobby. I'm kind of a geek. Yeah. Um, and so I'd go home and I'd start writing code on my own, you know, to do hydraulic analysis. I wrote little like Manning's equation calculators and Hayes and Williams stuff, you know, and then... Uh, I actually created a um, like a Hardy Cross, you know, network analysis wow. program on my Mac at home, <laughs> and uh, just for fun, that was like what I yeah. did. That was like my hobby was programming. And then when LA was, um, you know, I'm from the East Coast, and so when I left the department, only after like four years, but during that time, I did qualify for and and get my professional engineering license, right, which is great. Yeah. And yep, so I've kept, I've maintained that over the years. But um, but when I was leaving LA, a colleague of mine there said. Hey, you're, you know, you're from New York, right? And I said, yeah. And he's like, Connecticut's not that far from New York, is it? And I said, no. <laughs> uh, he said, well, there's this company called Haystead Methods in Connecticut that um, does software for urban water system analysis, basically hydraulics and hydrology. I said, oh, that sounds like perfect job. Right, you know? right. And so I came back east and applied there. I wanted to be a programmer, and they said no. <laughs> They're like, no, you're not a good programmer. Um, but uh, since they saw, I guess they saw a bit of a passion there, and they said, well, but you can join us. Uh, join us as basically an engineer, engineering support. So I used to help people that were using the Haystead products okay. get the most out of them. I would do, you know, it was a smaller company. It was like 35 people when I joined. So, you know, a little bit of everything. But then... Uh, Really worked hard to try to learn how to be a better programmer and like sort of earn my way into the programming team. Wow. That's great. And I did and was sort of product manager slash programmer and then worked my way into more of a full-time programming gig at Haystead. And ultimately, um, Haystead was acquired by Bentley yeah. in 2004. So I worked there for nine years and became the, the CTO, the chief technology officer at the end there. And then when Bentley acquired us, I make the joke that Bentley already had a CTO, Keith Bentley, the founder. Uh, so I guess that job was out. And then I started working um, at Bentley in, in our geospatial group. And, and over the years, you know, got more responsibility, different product lines. Uh, civil engineering, I was responsible for our road design and rail design products for a little while. And yeah, so that's kind of how I that's, got here. It's a, yeah. I never would have thought, Anthony, when I was, you know, at Drexel that someday I'd be you know, working in a software company, it wasn't sort of on the horizon, you know, but that's how things happen sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you, well, first of all, I remember, and I had mentioned this to Bob earlier, that I really remember the Haystead Methods programs, the StormCAD, <clears throat> the Culvert Master. I did yep. a lot of stormwater when I was practicing as a civil engineer, and they were, I just remember the programs being extremely helpful when you're dealing with, you know, hydrology, all kinds of different inputs and different factors that happen. That's right. 
So that's interesting. And it was when you know preparing for this, it was exciting for me to be able to to catch up with you on that. But also from doing all these episodes of the podcast, I found yeah. that you know civil engineers do do very different and interesting things yeah. in their career. You know, you're not necessarily limited to always doing design work on civil projects, although that's in itself is is an amazing job. But these other opportunities, which is what I was excited to come and talk to Bob about, because I feel like as a civil engineer kind of by nature, you're always interested in like the built environment, mm -hmm. you know, improving it. And we get to do that on a regular basis. And I can imagine that for you in your position, you have some potentially really a lot of influence in terms of helping civil engineering projects become more efficient, which, you know, we're going to get into talking a little bit about uh, the digital twins for digital cities. But I would just think as a civil engineer, it's got to be a great feeling to maybe be able to work on some of this technology that can impact. It is, absolutely. And as a young civil engineer, when I joined Haystead Methods, you know, I was just really interested in the technology itself. Like I just loved mastering programming and making the computer do stuff, you know, and right. getting the great results out of it. But I think as I got older, I started to really appreciate how that impacted the broader community. And at Hasted, it was a global company. We sold our software all over the world. And then Bentley, of course, is as well. And it's been really gratifying for me to see how like the work that we've done has helped, you know, folks in India have a more reliable and continuous water supply right. or rebuild after the tsunami or you know, there's just so many of these places uh, in Brazil. We have a great example of um, providing sewage to a population that didn't have sewage collection wow. before. And, um, you know, there was all sorts of environmental problems with that. The lagoon was completely polluted and they used our software to plan and then execute a sanitary sewage collection system. Wow, that's awesome. And it has like real impact yeah. on people's daily lives. And it was like, like I said, as I got older, I began to appreciate that more. When I was a kid, it was more like, I was just having fun right. programming, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway. All right, so let's talk about digital twins for digital cities. Some of our listeners, I'm sure, aren't familiar with the term, are not familiar with it at all, so maybe you could just start off with the basics. Sure, yeah, so a digital twin, and this isn't specific to the infrastructure industry or cities or anything, but a digital twin is essentially a virtual replica of a system or a process or a product, and in our case, it would be a digital twin of like an infrastructure system or a lot of infrastructure systems together, like in the case of a city. So it's a virtual replica, but it's not just sort of the geometric or physical replica of that in a digital world. It also includes engineering technology, which allows us to model the behavior and the performance of the infrastructure systems and then use those for predicting what the performance might be under different circumstances, right? Oh. So you can do sort of these sort of scenario plans right. because you have this virtual replica of it, but it mimics the behavior of the real system. Hmm. And then a digital twin is often, it's built up from a variety of different sources of data. And you then um, connect it also with IoT typically, right? So you have some sort of sensors uh, in a water system, it, it would be a SCADA system. Okay. And that way you can get the real-time and historical performance of the system into the digital replica and use that as sort of the boundary conditions or starting conditions of your simulations, for example. Wow. Does that make sense? It makes sense. And it sounds like, I mean, is? I can just immediately see, you know, tons of benefits for that. I guess one of my questions would be in terms of establishing the digital twin mm -hmm. for a city. Well, I guess what's involved in it is, like you said, getting information Lots from different sources and yeah. the data. And is it something that ultimately is 
done through a program of some sort and it's on the computer? Yeah. Is yeah. So typically, one of the ways that you would start for a digital city and a digital twin of a city is with what we call reality modeling. The idea is that your virtual replica uh, has to reflect the actual reality, the physical reality. Otherwise, it's not going to be very helpful, right? So one of the things uh, that can be done, and Bentley has some great technology for this, is transforming photos into 3D models. You know, there's uh, photogrammetry has been around for a long time. This is automated photogrammetry. So just by taking photos from a fixed wing aircraft, like, you know, an airplane right. or a helicopter, and now, of course, with drones, yeah. you can get uh, lots of images close up to buildings and so forth. You could also take ground photos if you want. Incorporate all this, in, including LiDAR. I'm sure many of your listeners sure. are familiar with LiDAR technology. And basically bring all these images and LiDAR together and automatically process that into a very accurate, precise, and visually like appealing replica of the city. And wow. we have many examples uh, of this being done around the world. And that's one of the ways to start. So that 3D model of the city becomes sort of the integration point yep. for this other data. It might be GIS data. Right. It might be BIM data, you know, building information right. models, right? Obviously civil data, right, yep. um, from uh, road design or, sure. or land development or whatever you want to bring that stuff in. Connecting in the sensor data, from IoT sensors. And having this 3D model is a way of indexing all that information and accessing it in a very intuitive and immersive environment. And we deliver these things, so there's um, basically, it typically lives on a server or yep. in the cloud, and then you would access it through your browser, either on your desktop or on your tablet or on your phone. For example, it would be like a city mm -hmm. that would want to build the twin, right? right. So they might assist <clears throat> someone to build it for them and, exactly. and use the softwares to build it for them. And then they can, whether it's their engineering department or whoever it is, somebody can kind of use it as a model to, like you said, That's monitor right. things. That's right. One of the classic examples that we have is urban planning. So being able to, as an urban planner, look at the changes that are being proposed for the city, bring them into this digital twin environment uh -huh. and get a better feel for the impact on those. And then a lot of what cities want to do with their digital twin is use it as a, as a platform for engagement with the citizens. And so basically they can create forms to ask citizens questions about how they feel about a proposed project or, oh. you know, do they have... It's interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. Interact, very interactive. Very interactive. And the citizens, um, you know, from some of the examples we have, it's a better engagement platform than, say, the, the town hall meeting, you know, right. where or the zoning meeting where... Typically, it's only the people opposed to the project come, have the energy wow. to come and, and sort of speak at those things. This way you get, you know, more engagement because it's easy. It's right on their phone. They can just look sure. at the project. They can see what it's all about. And then they can, uh, you know, provide their input. That's great. Now, how far along is this in terms of are there cities that use this now? Or yes. It is. So it's in play. And it's it is in play. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, it's past the point of being a vision of having a digital twin of a city to being... A reality. reality okay. With that said, it's not mainstream. It's not like you're going to find every right. city has a digital twin, but there are some leaders in this area. There are some innovative cities that uh, have embraced the technology and are looking to create a better quality of life for the people that live and work and play in their city. Sure. That's really interesting. And in fact, we had another episode on our structural engineering 
channel podcast, which was focused on using drones for bridge inspections. Yeah. The expert that we interviewed, he had done a whole PhD research around it. And mm-hmm. there's many benefits to it. Obviously, one of them being, you know, time, but also safety. safety. Because, you know, you got people hanging off of bridges trying to get to these <clears> locations <throat> where a drone can get under there and, you know, video and things of that nature. So speaking in terms of civil engineering, mm-hmm. it seems like there's tons of benefits for this in terms of monitoring things. Like you said, utility systems and, That's right. and things of that nature. And I would even think that just a large construction project, right? You could create a digital twin of that project site. That's right. And that is happening today. For example, with drones, it, it becomes relatively cheap and quick to capture, to do this reality capture, this reality modeling of a construction site on a weekly basis. Right. And then you have a whole timeline of change across the project. We also have some technology called Synchro, which is all about 4D construction modeling. So hooking up the structural models, the BIM models to the project schedule, and then being able to see the progression of work and identify potential problems in that progression, again, through a digital twin of the construction process, Hmm. right? That's awesome. uh, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is with like these, some of these mega civil engineering projects is that you're talking about like astronomical budgets and things of that nature and, and impacts the community that something like this can be a big time saver. Absolutely. And, and a big time saver. And then like you mentioned earlier about safety and security construction projects, of course, these large construction projects where there's a lot of earth movement changes the drainage on a daily basis. And so Uh, One of our users is capturing their construction site on a weekly basis and then running our hydraulic analysis capabilities to predict, you know, for a design storm and for a check storm, where is, where am I going to have ponding? Where am I going to have trouble this week? And they can pre-deploy, you know, pumps or they can take other measures to facilitate that, right? right? To deal with the, what could happen if it were to rain. Like disaster preparedness, yeah. essentially. Yeah, so that's, that's exactly. That touches on a broader topic, what we call resilience, right? right? Resilience, yes. And for cities, it really has two main components to it. Um, one is dealing with sort of the chronic stresses in a city, you know, the aging infrastructure, the urbanization, like the population growth, those sorts of things that are happening and they're happening all the time, but really stress the infrastructure systems within a city. And then you have these acute shocks. They, they refer to acute shocks, such as like a flood event, you know, a massive storm and flood or earthquake or tornado or hurricane. And so using a digital twin to help plan for that, to assess the risk associated with those types of events, plan for mitigation, right, of Mm -hmm. those. Say, you look and say, well, if we raise the seawall half a meter, you know, what does that do? Where does the water go then? Because the water's got to go somewhere. Right, right, right. (laughs) So if it's not flooding. civil engineers, like what we're thinking, right? Like, where's all the water going to go? Where's it going to go, you know? And so um, by using a digital twin, that can really help them plan for and mitigate the risks associated with these kinds of stresses and, and shocks and become more resilient. That's great. I mean, it really is. There's so many benefits. And and we're going to be, this episode, you can find either on audio, which many of you listen to on Apple Podcasts, but also on our YouTube channel. And Bentley's going to share some images and some things of that nature. So you can kind of get a look at what some of these systems might look like or the software maybe that is used to build this. Because I know it can be a visual thing. We're talking about it here, but you want to see it for sure. 
you know, you keep thinking about it. Like, you know, sometimes my kids will be playing in the street and their ball goes into one of the catch basins like that. Yeah. Why do we got to have these open things on the street? Right. And the first thing I say to them is like, you know, when it rains, where do you think all the water goes? Right. And so as civil engineers, like there's so many impacts to the community based on projects, based on, you know, the environment. And, and so it's interesting to see that there could be a tool like this that can see can be so beneficial in different areas. So before we we are going to jump into our hot seat segment in a moment, ask Bob a few more questions about his career, mm -hmm. which has been kind of an interesting journey. But before we do that, two last questions here, mm -hmm. Bob. What are some things or what is something that really excites you about civil engineering in terms of where we're headed in the future? I don't think it'll surprise you to, for me to say that like the technology yeah. <laughs> that can be applied to civil engineering. So cloud computing is not new anymore, but what is still growing is our access to data, right? right? And the amount of data that we're producing and, and how sensors and all these things are becoming smaller, cheaper, and proliferating around the, the infrastructure systems. And then there's lots of new techniques related to artificial intelligence and machine learning. I'm sure your, your yeah, listeners sure. Have, have heard about this before. But these things have come together now to a point where we are seeing real benefits from machine learning in the context of, of civil engineering, uh, say for a water system to detect anomalies as they're monitoring their system. Artificial intelligence machine learning techniques can be used to identify anomalies in that, that flow rate or in that pressure and right. identify when perhaps there's a break before it's actually noticed at the surface, right? They can see it in the data and that's pretty cool. And I think there's a lot of technology that civil engineers are going to be able to apply to the problems that we're facing. And um, for me, that's the most exciting I mean, thing is seeing how civil engineering, because it's an old profession. Yeah. And it's, it's just, and it's relatively <laughs> risk averse for good reasons. Right. Right. But it's exciting for me to see how they'll take technology, how the profession will uptake of this technology and apply it to the problems we have. As a civil engineer, how can you not be excited about all of the potential technologies and what I was diving into there with Bob before was like, you know, you're kind of like with Bentley, you're kind of seeing all that on such a broad level, which must be exciting. Right. But at the same time, like you said as well, is that this is an old profession. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see how these things are adopted, how they're used, how they're overlaid, because there's all these different technologies Absolutely. as well. And so I think that that is going to be an interesting aspect of civil engineering going forward. Last question here in this segment sure. is, what's something maybe that worries you about mm. civil engineering? I mean, I know we're talking a lot about the positives and the technology, but... Yeah, I'm not the worrying type, first of all. <laughs> but no, I think that, um, you know, we do have a lot of challenges as a society that civil engineers are going to be faced with tackling, right? So we mentioned aging infrastructure before. Right. I mean, that problem is, you know, every year it gets another year older. Yeah. It's a real challenge. And, you know, so what worries me, I guess, is a couple of things. The demand for civil engineers is growing, and I'm not sure that the enrollment and the, right. the graduation rates of civil engineers are, are going to be able to keep up with that demand. One thing that would worry me is if we ended up with a shortage of, of qualified and skilled civil engineers, okay. because we do have a lot of challenges and, um, you know, from uh, climate change and aging infrastructure, yeah. urbanization, decarbonization. There's so many things that civil engineers can have an impact on. So we just need to have, to make sure we have enough, make sure we have enough, make sure we have enough of, you know, those uh, young people that want to go into that profession, because I'm afraid that they might not understand how exciting it can be and how, yeah. uh, how impactful their career can be. 
It's good to hear you say that because there are so many things we can work on. We just need to make sure that we do think about the next kind of generation That's of civil right. engineers. And really, like one thing I'll add to that, which you kind of touched on in the last question is kind of like one thing that could be a little bit worrisome is can, I just hope that we can use technology, you know, adopt it and use it the right way and use the right technologies. Because I do feel that sometimes for civil engineers, it can be a little overwhelming Yeah. because there are, you know, you have the needs of your client. You want to do the best mm-hmm. you can on your project. You have budgets, you have timelines, and then you have technology. Right. And I think that the technology can help us with all the things we're talking about that we just talked about with the climate change and all this stuff. It's just getting me able to integrate it and that's implement right. it effectively. And so that should be interesting. Totally so, agree. All right. We're going to come back in just a moment here with Bob Mankowski at Bentley Systems, and we're going to put Bob on the civil engineering hot seat. Civil engineering podcast. Civil engineering podcast. I hope you're enjoying the interview with Bob Mankowski of Bentley Systems. We are going to put Bob on the civil engineering hot seat right now. But before we do that, I do want to take a moment to recognize our sponsor for this episode, Mazer Consulting. Mazer maintains a culture that is nurtured through the promotion of integrity, collaboration, and socialization. Their employees enjoy comfortable work environments, continuous career advancement, and the ability to impact society, not only through the projects they work on, but the company-sponsored activities available to them. Mazer Consulting is on the cutting edge of technology, and their opportunistic approach to expansion creates personal and professional growth opportunities across all areas of the firm. Leadership's dedication to the well-being of their employees and their families is demonstrated throughout the wide range of benefits and programs available to them. Mazer Consulting has a civil site group located in their Hamilton, New Jersey office for which they are currently seeking an engineer, project engineer, and project manager. The engineering role would include performing design tasks such as grading and drainage associated with civil engineering projects. For the PM role, Mazer is seeking a qualified individual to grow the engineering business. This person will be responsible for developing the civil site engineering discipline in this market, as well as assisting in growing existing disciplines. Main responsibilities include developing business, building a staff, and generating and maintaining clients. All right, now let's jump into the hot seat segment with Bob Mankowski. All right, we're back here. We're at Bentley Systems with Bob Mankowski. We talked a lot about digital twins for digital cities and many other things, but now it's time, Bob, to focus a little bit more on your career. We're going to put you on the civil engineering hot seat. You ready? I'm ready. All right, so first question, Bob, are there any routines that you practice on a regular basis, um, whether it's a work routine, morning, lunchtime, something that just helps you in terms of your success for the day? I keep a to-do list. My life has gotten so busy between my you know personal life and sure. professional life that I find if I don't keep a running list of things I need to accomplish right. and, and prioritize them, that uh, things fall between, you know, through the cracks. Yeah. So, sure. uh, Every morning, I will take a look at my to-do list, and throughout the day, I just keep it open, and it's very simple. I just use a spreadsheet, and I have a list of things that I need to do, and I just color code them by the importance and sort them by their priority. That's it. And uh, yeah, check that throughout the day and keep adding to it throughout the day and just keep that as my list. Spoken like a true engineer using a spreadsheet. I mean, I, think. <laughs> I use a spreadsheet for everything. <laughs> I mean, my wife's a civil engineer as well, and... We're doing a home renovation project. And of course, first thing we do is we get the spreadsheet out. Get the spreadsheet out. out. Absolutely. That's the way it works. All right. Next question. Is there a book that either you would recommend to engineers or a book that you found to be helpful in any of your personal or professional development efforts? Could be one, could be multiple, but is there sometimes something sticks out? 
It's a little bit specific to me, though, in my career because I got into software development. Sure. So I'm not sure, you know, for civil engineers if this is going to be that helpful. But there was a, a book that really does stick out in my mind called The uh, Dynamics of Software Development. And it was just a very practical book written by someone who had been through it themselves, okay. you know, and, and had some just really good advice on how to deal with the typical problems in software development. There's one that I'm reading right now, actually, which is called uh, Objectives and Key Results, OKRs. It's a management mm -hmm. technique. Uh, Google was a big uh, adopter of this, and there's many other examples. It could apply to any industry in, sure. in terms of uh, civil engineering. And the whole idea is that you, know, you want to have a big objective, something a bit aspirational, but then you want to have metrics. And I think this comes back to some of our discussion about data. Right. Today, it's all about the data and using data to inform your decision. Some people call about talk about um, data-driven decisions. Yeah. I don't like to use that term because I think that uh, there's a lot of things, intangibles or things that might not be quantifiable that can influence your decision as well. Sure. But it should be data-informed. You should have data to inform you know, your decisions. And that's what these OKRs are all about, that you have key results. There's got to be a number. You got to be able to measure something to see if you're on track and achieving your objective. And if you're not, if you're not achieving those key results, then you need to reassess your strategy. So it's another great book, OKRs, great. which I think could be helpful for everyone. At the Engineering Management Institute, we do a lot of management and leadership training for engineering companies. And the first thing we try to do with them is some kind of assessment or baseline. You don't want to just start giving training to people that don't necessarily need it in that specific area. Right. Right. We're in a world where really, in my opinion, you should try to do things that are as custom as possible because you don't want to waste people's time and we can get yeah, the data that's right. relatively easier. So that's great. Now, just on that first book you mentioned, was yeah. that a book that you picked up when you were getting into software to help you? with? It the was a long time ago. Yeah, it was actually probably yeah, about 20 years ago, I okay. would say. And um, we did a lot of reading and, you know, I, I was lucky. I had some great mentors and great managers around me. So there was one guy, Darrow Kirkpatrick, who... Uh, Shout out to Darrow. <laughs> uh, he was fantastic. And he would read everything. You know, he would sort of filter the stuff, right? Okay. And so you would know, hey, this is a good book to read. And, okay. and this, you know. That's good. I asked because I know a lot of civil engineers from time to time that reach out to us. Like they're interested in maybe switching even within the civil range, like a different discipline or something. So, yep. you know, you can always find a resource when you're making a transition that could potentially, you know, help you. And, Absolutely. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of good information out there. Next question, you've had managers throughout your career, yep. of course, and, and whether it was in the water department or you know, in your software life. If you think back to your managers and maybe a couple of them that might stand out that were considered you know, great managers or really mm -hmm. good managers, what were some characteristics or maybe things that they did that sure. kind of made them great? You know, I've been lucky in that regard. I've, I've had some great people around me. And, you know, the term management somewhat implies like organization and structure and management. And that's not how all of them were, right? I had some like that that right. were great, organized, administrators, structured, you know, very good at project management and that kind of stuff. And I learned a lot from that. But I was also lucky to be involved with entrepreneurial types as well. Oh, that's good. Right? Yeah. So when I came to work at Haystead Methods, John Haystead was the president, CEO, uh, founder of the company, got to work directly with him. It was a small company. It was just a dynamic, enthusiastic risk taker, yeah. you know, and it was it was great to be around that kind of energy. And then when I came to Bentley, Bentley has grown a lot by acquisition. Okay. And so a lot of the leaders of the company are also entrepreneurs who had founded and, and oh, ran a company that then ultimately got acquired. So I also had a, a boss here, Stilly Camateros. He was my first boss at Bentley. 
And uh, again, a really dynamic, enthusiastic, passionate guy. And I learned a lot from him. That's great. I mean, it sounds like one of the key things there was like, they were very energetic and passionate about what they did. And that can certainly rub off on people. Absolutely. It rubs off on you. It energizes you. It, it, um, you know, there's a lot of hard work, you know, I mean, and, and, uh, you know, in civil engineering, as well as software, you know, you put in a lot of long hours, like you said earlier, you're trying to do the best for your clients, but you got budgets and there's all sorts right. of challenges that yeah. you're facing. So having that energy, that team and energy, you know, and having a leader who is really a leader. And like I say, neither of those guys were sort of managers in the, the classic sense, right? right? Of But they were leaders. They were excellent leaders. That's great. All right. Last question here. Let's just say you were to get into an elevator with a civil engineer, mm-hmm. a young civil engineer, and they're thinking about their career ahead of them, and right. you only have about 30 seconds with them. Okay. What career advice would you give him or her? I would recommend that they absolutely get some field experience. Don't limit yourself to working in an office, uh, you know, behind a computer, making drawings and designs and calculations and spreadsheets and right. things. Those are important. But that field experience is where the, you know, the designs hit the dirt. And there are a lot of challenges out there in construction and in the operations of, of infrastructure and civil infrastructure. And I would say for a young engineer to get out there and talk to the contractors, talk to the people building the things that you're designing, talk to the people that are operating the stuff that you've designed and really create a rapport with them. And it'll, it'll improve your designs. It'll improve your engineering by having that context and that experience of what it's like out there, you know, getting dirt under your fingernails to actually build these things. All right, Bob Mankowski, Vice President of the Digital Cities Business Unit at Bentley Systems. Thank you for coming on the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thank you, Anthony. It was a pleasure. Well, I hope that you enjoyed taking a trip to Bentley Systems with me and speaking with Bob. He's a civil engineer who has done amazing things in his career, and he's having a big impact on civil engineering community and really the world as a whole. And so I was really excited to get to sit down with him. I also want to mention that for those of you that were interested in our Engineering Management Accelerator online workshop, our live version, even though we just launched one in September, we're launching another session starting in mid-October. So you can go to Engineer2Manager, that's engineer2manager.com, and you can register today. If you're not sure what the Engineering Management Accelerator Workshop is, it's an online workshop that's given live over the course of five weeks. You'll spend about one to two hours a week with me on live skill building calls. We'll focus on helping you to communicate more effectively with your team, colleagues, and clients. We'll help you pick up some strategies for networking and building relationships. We'll talk about building expertise and mastering public speaking skills, which I believe is a critical skill for civil engineers. We'll get into productivity and billability because everybody wants to be more productive. In our last skill building session, we'll focus on leadership through the engagement of people, really engaging people and learning how to think in high leverage ways and use skills like delegation to really help focus on the right things. You can check out the course at engineer2manager.com. And if you don't want to wait for the next one, you can sign up today and go through the on-demand version at your own pace. Now, please remember, you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode number 127. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episodes, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. And as I said earlier, you can also visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash 
engineering careers and you can watch the podcast episode and video, you'll see me at the offices of Bentley with Bob. And also there are cuts in the video of some of the different technologies and the sites that they've used this technology on, which is, I think, a big part of what we focused on in this episode. So until next time, I wish you the best in all your civil engineering career endeavors. Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success.